Hi, this is Sarah Tebow. And this is Liz Bernstein, and we are the hosts of the Side Woo Podcast. This is a space to investigate what makes a creative life possible. From the mundane to the sublime, the physical to the metaphysical. Welcome to the Side Woo. Hello and welcome to this week's Side Woo. I'm really excited to share our newest episode. This week we have friend of the show, artist, educator, and intuitive Rachel Dawson. She is another artist that I met in graduate school at CCA, California College of the Arts. And as I say in this episode, she is kind of the original woo-woo person in my life. For as long as I've known her, Rachel has been making art and investigating topics like, you know, ghosts, spiritualism, haunted houses, and other unexplained phenomenon. In our interview, we talk about where that interest started and how her innate intuition or sixth sense has guided her throughout her life. Rachel shares stories about how when she was younger, she had a prophetic dream about a pet rabbit getting out of its cage. She would often experience this inner knowing that something was going to happen right before it did. Then as an adult, when her husband began struggling with addiction, her heightened intuition helped her find his hidden stashes of alcohol around the house. When her husband eventually sought treatment, Rachel went through her own period of recovery and healing and learned how to gain more control of her intuitive powers. We end the episode talking about a trip that Rachel and I and one other artist took to Sedona, Arizona, and the super wild experience that we had there. I won't spoil it for you, but I'll give you a hint. It has something to do with vortexes. If you enjoy our episode or our podcast in general, please feel free to subscribe, rate, review, and share the side woo with your woo woo friends. Email us at thesidewoo at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram for updates at thesidewoo. And this week, you know, in particular, I'll be sharing photos of Rachel's work that is referenced in the interview, as well as kind of an artist rendition of what we saw in Sedona, Arizona. Also, every week I am publishing a newsletter about the show on my Substack called Art Date. And if you want to follow along for behind the scene details about each episode and an expanded conversation about some of the themes that we go into, You can go to artdate.substack.com, which is linked in show notes, and follow there. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. It is your birthday tomorrow, which makes you a solid Taurus, right? That's right. This is my month. Awesome. How does that show up for you since you know about that kind of stuff? Well, as a Taurus, I would say I'm really creative. I am a big lover of beauty and try and cultivate that in my in my life. I also have a stubborn streak. I was going to say. <laughs> and I would say that, that usually comes out in the fact that I'm fairly persistent in things that I you know, want to go for. So in that regard, and I'm also very loyal. That's another Aww, quality. That's so sweet. What are you going to do for your birthday? Anything fun? I'm going to work. 
<laughs> Bummer. I'm going to work, but I think, you know, I, I've got some plans for, for perhaps go, going out to dinner. And so, yeah, I'm kind of at that age where, you know, sometimes your birthdays happen. It's not like, unless it's a really big momentous year, which it is not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kind of going with the flow. <laughs> Yeah, I know. That was my birthday last year, too. Worked all day, didn't do anything fancy, and then went out for dinner with friends. But yeah. And it was fun, you know, but it, I feel like it hits you in a different way when that's your birthday versus like when you throw yourself a big party or something. It just, it's like, okay, let me sit with this. This is also good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's Mother's Day next weekend. So I've feel I'll kind of, you know, take advantage of that too. So <laughs> it'll be my, it'll be the extension of my birthday. Is it normally <clears throat> like that where you have your birthday and then Mother's Day? Sometimes my birthday is on Mother's Day, which oh wow is kind of, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I'm like, yay, extra special day. But then I'm kind of, well, wait, I kind of want some space between these two things. <laughs> yeah. It's like having your birthday and Christmas. You're like, no, actually I want two presents. Yeah, right? And two special cakes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you know, happy pre-birthday. Thank you. Just to kind of get into the groove. So Rachel and I have known each other now for 14 years. Is that right? Since grad school at CCA. And you were far more woo than me for quite some time. You were the original woo woman in my life. And I feel like Rachel like tells a story and it, regardless of the topic of the story, it sounds like it's going to be a ghost story. Just the way you, <laughs> your tone of voice, you're like, and then you would not believe this happened next. And you're like, what's going to happen? Who's going to die? And then it's like, oh, and then I went to the store and I'm like, okay, Rachel, you freak me out. <laughs> yes. I do like to tell a story. That is that is true. You're a good storyteller. But yeah, so maybe you could talk about how did you get into ghosts and stuff? You are, you know, one of the more passionate, other than like Shannon Taggart, you are very knowledgeable about the history of ghosts and spiritualism. And Yeah, I mean, I think I've had a lifelong fascination, to be honest. It didn't really show up in my artwork until grad school, but, you know, I think... I had a lot of experiences when I was a kid that um, definitely piqued my curiosity. Do you want to share one of them? Yeah. I mean, okay. Well, so I had not so much seeing ghosts or anything, but when I was younger, but I had a few experiences where I would say that I really discovered that I have a very strong intuition and I think, you know, I remember these moments when I was younger, not really knowing what to call it or anything, but just realizing that I had a, a knowing about things. And sometimes that would happen during, you know, just something was occurring and I'd have this feeling that something was about to happen and then it would. One time I remember being, I probably was in third or fourth grade and I went to a, a Catholic school and we were sitting in the church and I don't remember, I don't think it was mass or anything, but there was some type of kind of not entertainment, but there was some guy who was doing some kind of show or whatever it was. And then he was wanting to pick somebody. And I was in my mind being like, 
please don't pick me, which is kind of funny because I'm sure on my face, I probably looked like terrified, but I was just, there was a lot of people in there too. And I was just trying to kind of somewhat make myself invisible. And I knew, I knew I was going to get picked. And sure enough, I did. I did. And I was just like, oh my God. why? <laughs> and like, why did I get chosen? Like, it was like the last thing I wanted. Anyway, so that, you know, whatever. Maybe he probably picked on me because <laughs> he could see the total terror in my face. Um, don't pick me. Yeah. But that was one moment where I just felt like, oh, sometimes I just have this, you know, and it's not even like, what is that? How does that serve me? <laughs> like, no, it's just this kind of idea of like, oh, yeah, you got to like a, a sneak preview and getting to know that you were going to get chosen. Yeah, kind of a useless trivia almost. Right. Yeah. But then I other situations or things that happened to me would often come in dreams. And so I would have a dream and it felt very much like it was, yeah, it was telling me about something that was going to happen. And so one particular dream I had was when I was on vacation with my family and I had this dream that my rabbit back at home, ha- who was being looked up after by a neighbor, had escaped and gotten away. And I was, you know, really, really upset about it the next morning and, you know, begged and pleaded my mom to call the person who was looking after the rabbit. I was like, please, I need to know. And, she- and you were young, right? I was really young. I was probably about 10, 11 this was before cell phones or anything like that. And so my mom was like, no, we're not going to call. That's way too expensive. We're going to go home soon. You'll find out. I'm sure everything is fine. And I was really overwhelmed by the worry and concern over the next few days that we had to wait. And, And sure enough, when we got back, my rabbit had gotten out of the cage and, yeah. and was gone. And I was yeah. just like, I knew it. I knew it. And, and it was just this like, you know, you're not really anything I could have done again, but the good thing was the rabbit ended up coming back. <laughs> so well, that's a happy ending. A few, a few days later, she showed up. So she wasn't gone permanently, but still it was just kind of like this weird, yeah, I knew. Well, and I think the anxiety maybe came from not to tell you what you were feeling, but also this thought of, I know why isn't that being reflected? You know, what? why isn't my inner knowing being valued by people around me? Like, don't they trust me? Or, you know, I, I feel like I can relate to that. Maybe a lot of us can like this inner knowing that then is rejected by our parents or society as young kids, maybe especially young girls. And just how frustrating that is. For me, I had this moment where, you know, when you can see the moon and you can see a crescent of the moon and then you can actually see the dark part too. I actually said that to a teacher in first grade. I was like, oh, I saw the moon and you could see the dark part too. And she goes, no, you couldn't. And just completely dismissed me as if I was lying to get attention or something. And I was like, no, you could. Yeah. And now I'm like, well, yeah, just use your eyeballs. But right, right. I just remember that same feeling of like, oh, she doesn't trust me inherently, you know? Yeah. I mean, and the other thing is, I think I, for myself, I just, I wasn't sure, you know, I remember there being a time where I got really worried that bad dreams that I'd have, mm, were they ones oh, yeah. that I needed to pay attention to? And so it, it really kind of, I couldn't really figure it out for a long time. How do I know which ones to pay attention to and how, which are the ones that are just a figment of my 
waking anxieties and things that I'm kind of working out in my sleep. So how did you come to like, have you figured it out or is it still something you so, wrestle with? Yeah. As I've kind of gotten older, I think the dreams that I feel are premonitions mm. or ones that are ones I really need to pay attention to either become repetitive, like I'll have them multiple times or oh, I will wake up and I, again, just have this kind of just sensation that that was one to really listen to. And so mm. I think just kind of sharpening that ability and kind of mm -hmm. just listening to my, and to my gut has allowed me to kind of differentiate between which ones are like, yeah, that's just kind of, you know, the noise that's going on in your subconscious versus some sort of message or something that I just need to, to watch out for. Yeah. And your sister is got a bit of the gift around clairvoyance and did your mom or dad also have that or I would say it is definitely something that I share with my mom and my sister we're all very strongly intuitive and my mom has shared a few experiences of hers growing up and just you know in adult life and then my sister as well and my sister has a special ability to hear things so clear audience oh, okay. that would be my least favorite of the clairs Right. You know, because it's kind of yeah. that feels the most crazy to me almost, you're, but you're it's insane. not. But it's, I feel <laughs> that would be the hardest to really think I'm not insane, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there was one time my sister and I were in the same house. We were not at our house, we were visiting a relative in England. And this, this cousin of ours lived in this three story house in Wimbledon and she, the owner, refused to believe there was anything going on in that house. But both my sister and I had experiences in there and my sister mm. heard things. She heard talking but that you couldn't hear specifically what the people were saying. And it mm. was very much a hush, 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 hush. But it was two mm. people having this hushed conversation. And I felt the bed shaking at multiple times in the night where it was Whoa. kind of, I was I would wake up, but it would still be moving. Oh, um, yeah. And that was a very. So you had some feisty weird... spirits around you, it sounds like. Whoa. Right. And we both experienced that. But yeah, my cousin was like, no, no, nothing mm. like that's going on. I think, I also think she'd really rather nothing be going on. There I was going to anyway, say, so. some people just <laughs> shut it out and they're very good at it. Yeah. <clears throat> so how does that manifest for you now? You know, you've studied mediumship. And we took a class together, but how would you describe your abilities and interests now as an adult? I'm definitely, this has been a long, a long interest of mine. And I think that the kind of, I suppose, part of me that kind of thinks of myself as kind of an investigator has gone on many different little adventures and kind of going into different corners of history and whatnot around you know, psychic abilities and mediumship and the history of spiritualism. When I started really kind of diving deep into this, my second year in grad school, that was the first time I actually was working with a psychic. Jessica Lanyadu. Yeah, it wasn't about it wasn't about my abilities, because I don't think then I would have, I wouldn't have named my abilities as such. 
Um, Which is so funny because, you know, like based on everything you're saying, you were swimming in psychic ability and you just didn't have, and because it was normalized in your family to the extent that you were, I feel like there was no one to be like, that's weird. I can't do that. You know, or I don't know, like you were so good at it that you couldn't, you didn't see it for what it was. Right. And I, I mean, I think it's funny, you know, when, when we were in grad school that after that first year, I felt really lost and confused. I felt like I'd been through some kind of military school process where they break you down. And I felt like I had lost my way in terms of my voice. And so my, my thought in the moment was if I worked with a psychic, I thought that the way that they worked, it was, it was, was a perfect plan that they would then tell me, like, look into the future and tell me what it was that I was going to make. Mm. And I could problem solve, you know, from this position to get there. But that was problematic. And I also kind of really didn't know, I didn't really have an actual grasp on what people who call themselves intuitives actually did. So that was a really big learning experience for me. I just want to step back. I remember some of the people that you worked with and feeling like you're a painter and a sculptor. And I just felt like, they're not going to reflect that. You know, they're going to ask you, why are you doing it? And have all these conversations that I just personally avoided them. I'm going to say their name and then delete it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm like, I do not give a shit what this person thinks. I've had that conversation at undergrad. I felt terrible about myself for years, you know, and got eaten alive and critiques. And it's because these people were never going to be interested in what I was interested in, you know, and... Mm -hmm. I was so frustrated on your behalf because I really don't know that that conversation is always that useful, you know? Right. That was an interesting process to go through because, yeah, learning which voices to listen to and which ones to kind of shut out, that took me a long time to figure that out. I took that particular teacher's class. Actually, I remember signing up for the class because I was really interested in the class. And then Mm -hmm. I learned that he was going to be one of the advisors on my panel. And I was just like, oh my God, this is so difficult. So he was was challenging. I mean, he got me to think about things in a different way, but it was also really hard. That's Um, weird. Yeah. I wonder if it was part of you really finding your voice, like you needed that antagonist almost to push you there or something. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but I'm not to take you away from, so working with Jessica Lignadu, so what is it that you did that for your art project? Because I think it'll be interesting for people to hear about this specific project. Yeah. So I ended up, it was kind of funny. I came from a place where I wasn't, I was so interested in people who were psychic mediums and I wasn't so sure where I sat in the initially, do I believe this? How, how do I know if this is authentic? I started thinking about just kind of concepts of belief and this kind of desire to believe. And so when I first started going to see Jessica, you know, it was more about kind of the work that I was going to make, but it soon Mm -hmm. switched. And I started taking sculptures to her to read. And initially I didn't tell her that they weren't mine. I didn't want to give any information, but mm. what I was really doing was I was having my, my friends at school, my, my female friends at school make these objects where they basically took a piece of paper 
They could write or draw and dip it into clay slip and then basically just create an object, whether it was folding it or crumpling it. And then I'd fire it. And the artifact that came back, I mean, sometimes these things were just really fragile. Whatever it was, it was going to be crumbling bits. Yeah, they were beautiful (laughs) as objects. Yeah, these are porcelain, you know, things that I would take to her and have her hold and read. And I think, you know, as I was going through this, I didn't have the whole project figured out. So it was really just this process of kind of going to her, having these readings done. And while she was doing these readings, I was also taking the footage that I had filmed of these artists making these things. Myself included. Yes, you're, you included. I was one of the artists. And and then I listened to the readings while watching, yep, which I recorded and watched with the footage I had and started seeing this really interesting overlap with what I was hearing to what I was seeing. And I started researching psychometry, which is being able to hold an object and understand from the energy of that object, something about the person or the object's history or, or whatever it was. And so my interest was in this kind of idea, this transference of energy, this kind of like the act of creation what yeah. are we putting into this, whatever it is that we're making, and does it stay there? And so mm-hmm. also bringing up issues of, you know, just kind of thinking about sculpture or art in general, and kind of thinking about the kind of the things that people take from looking at something or, or holding something. And and so really, it kind of challenged a lot of notions around around that. Which I think is so brilliant, because there's the energy and intention you put into making something. And then there's physically the energy or, you know, metaphysically the energy you literally put into, you know, it's more metaphorical when you talk about, oh, the energy that you put into it, the amount of time spent or the labor or whatever. But then there's literally your intention, your energy that was imprinted on these objects. I mean, she didn't totally get mine, you know, but I think what she responded to was, relevant for what I was doing, you know? So listeners, I basically was making this and I'm like, well, it'd be really cool if she heard me say hello to her. And so while I was making it, I was like, hello. And then thought it was really funny because I'm like, oh, inside joke with myself was more funny than that. But but then she read it as like a non-sexual pervert, (laughs) which I think is just like the most random description, but also I get what she means. So I felt like, okay, she can't read my exact thought, but the energy, she was able to catch that. And, you know, everyone's going to interpret that differently. So it's like, I guess where I'm going with that is that is everything we touch, you know, not just what we make in like our food, our water, you know, it kind of starts to blow your mind if you realize everything we make is that. Yeah, absolutely. So Sorry, I didn't mean to cut off your train of thought, but I just wanted to flesh out a little bit more that it was really accurate. Yeah, it was really accurate. And then it didn't really matter in the end what was true or not, because I started thinking about how and the project was called Psychics Reading Sculpture. And so this kind of idea that we, as a viewer, when we go into an institution or a museum or whatever, and we are looking at these you know, objects and stuff and how we're inferring or we're being influenced and so forth. And so the video that accompanied this project, a lot of it was about editing, but what was so interesting was that Mm -hmm. I, 
as the kind of grandmaster creator, was able to mm-hmm. really kind of be specific in the way I edit it to really kind of push a certain narrative. And so while it was there, I just was able to bring it a little more into focus. And and I think, you know, for my own self, I really felt like, wow, I really actually am pretty amazed at Jessica's skills. I felt mm-hmm. like a lot of what she said really rang true for the artists that she was doing these readings on. And I'm still in touch with many of them. And I feel like it was almost an amazing kind of message of the future because some of the artists that I had on there are still, you know, they've made a name for themselves and yeah. and her readings of them just it kind of still blows my mind. <laughs> oh, interesting. Oh, I love that. Well, I wanted to talk about how your intuition and skills in your psychic studies have evolved. And one of the things that we spoke about was how, you know, your husband has struggled with addiction. And as you were working with them to get healthy and going through the process of them, you know, figuring it out, you said that that heightened your own psychic abilities. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the correlation between that. Yeah. So I basically was living under a great deal of emotional stress for a really long time. I think the buildup was probably several years, but then I would say like living under this crazy amount of emotional stress and terror, really, I felt that for years. And I think that the best way to kind of describe how I was feeling was like all my senses were super heightened, but that knowingness I have, that kind of intuitive side felt extra, extra sharpened. And I don't know, it was, it didn't, it didn't feel healthy. (laughs) I likened it to being kind of when you are in a situation where your life is at stake or something and you're, what's it called? I'm blinking on drawing a blank. You're High alert. Yeah. yeah. What is it called when you're, that makes you extra strong if you need to save somebody or. Oh, like your adrenaline. Adrenaline. Okay. So I liken it to having an extra dose of adrenaline or something, but it, it was a very long period of time. And so basically I was in this situation where I was kind of always wondering where the stash was, right? Where was Mm. the alcohol being hidden at my house or in around my house or whatever it was. And so I had been going on this. It was, I'm trying to remember the, it was a -a whack-a-mole situation. You'd find one thing, but then there's all these hidden spots, right? But it got to this point where I just Mm -hmm. had this knowing where things were. And I felt I would have some kind of directive or a voice, but it wasn't a voice voice. And it would tell me to go somewhere. And so one particular day that this happened, I remember looking out the kitchen window and my husband was coming back from wherever he was. And I, in kind of some kind of way, feeling I was just having this weird, I was in a trance almost, walking out the door, down the stairs to my front, from my front door, going around the side of the house and 
opening this little stupid door that goes under the steps. It says for storage. And then just blindly reaching my hand underneath the door jam to like the top of the door. And there was, you know, a bunch of stuff there. Right. (laughs) And do you normally go in that area? No. I mean, there was all sorts of, there was another time where I did the same thing where I, I, and it's like, I go directly to the one spot. It's not like I'm tearing around things. And once I found one thing, it was never again to be used as a hiding spot. Right. But there was, I mean, we're talking crazy places. I decided one day that this particular plant, I needed to pull it all the way up. And sure enough, underneath the root ball, there was a bottle in the soil. (laughs) But I knew it was there. That is bananas. bananas. That's crazy. In many ways, I was kind of haunted by this. I bet he was, yeah, I bet he was like, I cannot fucking believe she found that. I couldn't believe I found some of these things because I was, how would I have known that? And it was just really creepy in a lot of ways. You were just being guided. And so, yeah, I I mean, the other thing was I'd have these moments of a revealing kind of thing in my head would be like, oh, this thing is happening. And it was actually, it, I, it felt like at that point, I wanted to be able to shut it off and not have this kind of thing where I just knew because it would mm-hmm. often cause me to be completely panicked out, you know, having a panic attack because I was in a position yeah, where right. I really couldn't do much. So, I mean, how did you move forward? What what kind of helped you get out of that place? It took a really long time. And I think kind of coming to the realization that I needed to take care of myself and my kids and not be so obsessed about the finding things and, and all that kind of stuff, because that was destroying me. That actually helped. And and I really didn't get to that point for a long, long time, years. And at that point, this was actually the very beginning of the pandemic. And my husband went to rehab. He ended up losing his job. And it was it was actually mm-hmm. this amazing blessing in disguise because it was finally this opportunity had come to us where, frankly, he had no choice. He used mm-hmm. to be like, I can't do that. I've got work and blah, blah, blah. And then finally it was like, no, you're going. And I'm super happy to say that it worked for him. And he's in June, June 9th, he's three years sober. And it was just, I don't know. So it was a really long and horrible, hard journey that mm-hmm. just, you know, absolutely heart-wrenchingly difficult, but we made it through the other side. <laughs> For you, in terms of how you took care of yourself, were you going to therapy or you said you did Al-Anon, but did not find that it was a good fit for you? I did Al-Anon kind of in the early days of when things started really getting out of control in my family. And I just, it was, you know, not really kind of what I was hoping for at that moment. I think I went in there on a deep state of crisis and I, I just needed somebody to talk to me and support me and be there for me when things were, you know, unmanageable. And so mm-hmm. what I did like about Al-Anon was the kind of the ability to feel like I was in a safe space where I could talk and share about it. However, mm-hmm. I did not like this need to get 
a sponsor straight away that, well, I was like, I came to them in desperation and they were like, Oh, you yeah. need a, you need a sponsor. You need a sponsor. And I was just out of my mind. I was, I just, I just needed something right then and there. And I, I felt like there was too many hoops to go through to get that mm. started. And so that was really disappointing for me because I, I just felt like I was in a, a period in my life where it was about survival and I wasn't mm-hmm. able to just like call people up and be like, Hey, will you be my sponsor? And it, it seemed hard. It felt exclusive. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then there was, well, it's like the nightmare of having to choose where you're going to sit at lunchtime when you're a new kid to school or something. That's a really awkward, potentially triggering moment to have to choose someone like yeah, that. Yeah, right. And I just, I didn't really know enough about it. And then I also really came to resent the fact that I was even having to go to these meetings because I felt, I mean, I think at that time I was, I don't have the problem. I mean, yes, we're all like part of the problem, but it felt like so much of my waking and sleeping life was about figuring out how to navigate around this problem. And I just really resented Mm -hmm. the fact that I was supposed to and expected to go to these meetings multiple times a week. And, and then this kind of idea of powerlessness around it and, Uh, you know, I mean, my husband actually ended up, he did AA just very briefly, but then found another way that was much more effective for him. And that was through smart recovery and initially Mm -hmm. harm reduction. And something I like about them was about empowerment. And that really resonated for us. And I think that was really in the end, what I was like, no, I can fix myself and I can make sure that my kids are safe and I'm safe. I knew what I needed to do and I had the ability and the power to do that in some respect. So yeah, I did, I did therapy. I did EMDR, which was absolutely Mm, necessary and amazingly helpful for me in addition to talk therapy and stuff. And so I think that I found my way and I'm just so glad that that chapter in our lives is behind us because yeah. <laughs> it was a nightmare. <laughs> well, in a mirror, I, I've known him for a long time. I hope we can always cut yeah. this out if he doesn't want to be part of a conversation, but he seems like he's thriving. You know, you said he's making a new deck that I would love to have him on to talk about. Yeah. And I don't know. I just feel like you guys figured out what worked for you. I think it's really cool. Like I wish Liz was on so we could talk about, you know, the benefits and cons of AA, but that might've really shook me if I had tried this program that I really was going to count on and have it not work. You know, I think that would be very discouraging to try something that's so established and known for helping people. And then it doesn't resonate. And so to have the courage to go and try something else, I think is really inspiring. You know, it's really, again, another version of you having to find your own path. Right. I mean, I think also, I just, I felt really alone. It's not really something that, you know, you talk to people about. And so there was a lot of shame around it. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I just felt really, really alone and scared. And the people who knew what I was going through, my family weren't really close by. And then there was a lot of mistakes made, you know, a lot. But I think, you know, having people who can support you and is really key. And Mm -hmm. finding you said what works for you, because what works for one person does not necessarily mean it's going to work for you. Yeah, I think that's like a really good place to leave it on. 
Thank you so much for sharing that. I was thinking if we wanted to talk about our experience in Arizona. Oh, yes. (laughs) So Rachel and I and one other woman, Andrea Bacigalupo, who also was a CCA grad. Well, first of all, we're in a seance group together with someone else who I won't out since they're not fully (laughs) out in the world as a medium. But so we have this seance group and we will meet once a month and you know, kind of download information or try to connect with different spirits, you know, and so it'll be family members or sometimes it's a celebrity with, you know, Freddie. I don't know if I talked about that last time, but, you know, where we maybe aren't connecting directly with spirits or whatever, but we're getting information about how they would handle things. So anyway, we've been connecting on that. And then in a drawing session that I do, I do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, morning drawing Zoom if anyone wants to join. But I kept having this feeling that my guides were sending me information about Arizona and specifically Sedona area because I started just kind of free drawing and I was drawing all these red rocks. And then I started drawing these like portal things and all these kind of weird spacey looking, you know, abstract drawings that I normally would not do. And I just felt like, oh, I think we're supposed to go to Arizona. I don't know. I just feeling like that was the thing. And, you know, luckily Rachel and Andrea were like, yeah, let's go to Arizona and hike and go sit in the vortexes and stuff. So we get there like on whatever day it was a Friday and no, it was a Saturday. It was April. 15th. Oh, that's right. It was a Saturday that we got there and that's, and And it was in the evening. We didn't get there until after dark. Pretty late. Yeah. But when we arrived, I quickly realized that I did not bring my toothbrush. And so we were like, oh, let's go get, let's go get you a toothbrush. And then. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. And then we were like, well, while we're out, why don't we just go do a little exploring And so that's when we were like, where should we go? But also, I think it's important to note, maybe you can talk a little bit about your interest in paranormal investigator shows, because I would never have done this on my own. And, you know, you were like, oh, well, there's this UFO lady at the spiritual center. Like we could go talk to her. Apparently she does tours. And I'm like thinking this is a whole lot of nothing. Reading <laughs> reading about the reviews, it's everybody's like, we put on these night goggles and oh my God, it will blow your mind what you see. You know, and I'm thinking, okay, well, but night goggles, you're not really seeing what you're seeing. You're no. seeing shapes. I don't know. I've never used them. So I just am like, this sounds made up to me. You know, she could have people right. staked out with drones and flashing things at them, you know, at the right time whatever like that, that I'm, that's kind of the energy I'm coming into it with but I'm the healthy skepticism yes which is, I'm is like great. we're here so let's fucking do it Rachel has a mission I trust Rachel's scholarly interest in things <laughs> because she's been researching it for a lot longer than I have so yeah so I mean I did yeah before I go anywhere anywhere I travel I always like to look at what are the weird things about this place but Sedona is full of them as this new age capital like total woo-woo place. Yeah, definitely. And so it attracts a lot of people with similar interests, but it also just has, it's known to have a really crazy energy there. And so in researching places we were going to go hiking, the vortex locations, I happened upon the fact that one of the places that was not far from where we were staying, Cathedral Rock, 
happened to be a hot spot, so to speak, for UFO sightings. And, and, and near there was where this woman would do her tours. Yeah. So yeah. we're like, we're not going to pay the $100. We're not going to do that today. But no, we're going to go and check it out on our own. So I love that we like drove there. We hadn't even seen it during the daylight. Nope. We had no idea what to expect. We pulled into the parking lot. It's like 10.30 p.m. Yeah, it's pretty dark because there was no moon. But amazingly, like... And there's no lights over there, really. Right. And we quickly got a little spooked being outside. And I started having these visions of us falling off a cliff or something. So I was like, probably not best for us to go traipsing around the wilderness in the dark. So we got back into the car and we started just kind of looking at the stars. We were using your app, which was amazing. What is that app that you were using? Nights sky, I think. Yeah. So we were, I mean, what we could see on the left side outside of your driver's seat was Cassiopeia. Mm -hmm. And I said there was no moon. And on the right side was where Cathedral Rock was, the hoodoos. And and really all we saw was a silhouette outline of it because it was so dark. Yeah, definitely. It was a very clear sky, which is important for later. Yes. Important for the story. So I don't know how long we'd been there. We may have been there about half an hour, 45 minutes, just kind of looking and talking and trying not to freak each other out. But the thing I just happened to kind of look out the passenger front window where I was sitting and saw from the kind of mountain and then, and we had no spatial awareness. We had no idea how close anything was. So it was really kind of hard to judge, but Basically, about, I don't know, a quarter down from the top of this kind of plateau mountain. Um, on the this, left of on the, the main side. cathedral structure of the rock. Right. You know, there's the high peaks. It's yeah. to the left of that. We saw this greenishy, whitish, yellowy light start to kind of, I did. And I was, <laughs> I don't even remember what I said. I think I was like, what is that? What is that? Yeah. I was, I was definitely like, you were like oh my God. That? What is that? Oh my God. What is that? And like, uh, what, what is that, Rachel? And then I was like, oh my God, what is that? Right. And so this light, it started to grow in size. It had, it, it stuck close to the, to the mountain and uh-huh. it started to kind of blanket or unfold, I suppose, down the mountain. It reminded me so much of the fog in San Francisco when it comes over the Twin Peaks and how it kind of hugs the land. But I I will second that. It looked a lot. Yeah. And it wasn't, but then I'm like, is that just because that's the language I have to be like, that's what it looked like. The light was not projected on it. It was coming from either within it or behind it. It was very opaque. It had a very clear shape. It extended all the way across, but it didn't like go up. It only went down and I and we're gonna have photos on Instagram of what we each saw. We're each gonna do a rendition because Andrea was in the back seat. Like, what are you guys talking about? And then she was like, "Holy shit!" You know. So we all saw it and all have our vision of it. Um, we all saw you. it, and I, you know, time. It was one of those experiences where it's kind of like you're watching an accident or something happen, and your eyes are so stuck on what's happening that you don't think about like, "Oh, I'm gonna pull my camera out and take a photo." So that did because, not well, dawn on any of us. I And I will say to that effect, when I saw it, I was like, is that a car? Is there a car driving near there projecting light onto the surface of this mountain? Like, I didn't know there was a road there. Or, you know, I think that for the first like 90% of it, we were like, what could that be? 
we were like, we're seeing something unusual. There must be a reason for it. And so there's no reason to pull out our phone. But then the longer it went and the more our brains were like, little wheels were turning around. (laughs) Okay. It's not a car because that's not what lights look like on a, you know, on a surface. Right. And it was opaque. You couldn't see through it. It just started glowing and it looked kind of like Northern lights almost the way the light would shimmer in this ambient way across this fog, like surface, you know, and then it just kind of zipped off to the right. And like the way that, you know, dry ice or something evaporates, but like, directionally. It was almost sucked. It was almost sucked to the right. It was so unbelievably bizarre. And I think we had no idea what we had just seen. We were just... Yeah, we flipped the fuck out. (laughs) Needless to say, we were like, what the fuck was that? And so then I think we drove around because we're like, was there a road near there? And we looked at the map you know, it was, it was wild. Yeah. And then the crazy thing was, I mean, so the next day we went back because we wanted to see what it looked like during the day and to get a better idea of what the landscape actually looked like. And it turned out that that mountain and the, the hoodoo part of the cathedral rock, it was actually a lot closer than I thought. Um, and yeah, and way in the surface was different because the way it looked was that it was totally flat. But it wasn't. It was actually there was a whole canyon to the left that we couldn't see yeah. in the dark. That so it wasn't like a monolithic rock no. face. And at it's all. interesting when we we were looking at the surface of the rock. It has these horizontal striations that go across them, and it's yeah. almost like what we saw traveled along those lines mm. in, in one direction. So yeah, it cascaded down and then traveled with the grain, if you will. Yeah. So, I mean, we kind of weren't, it didn't really give us any answers to see it during the day, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but we went up to the, like the location of where it began and really just spent some time sitting there. And it turns out that that's the supposed location of the vortex where we first went, Mm -hmm. which, you know, energetically, you can feel there's something different about that place. I kind of describe it as a slight electric feeling. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't think everybody feels that, but as a sensitive person, I, I feel it. And so I wonder if what we saw, and we've talked about this, about how we think perhaps it could be something related to the release of energy, or I don't know. Otherwise, if it's not that it was a freaking portal opening. And (laughs) yeah, I mean, having seen Northern Lights in Iceland, And the way that those operate scientifically is it's a discharge from the sun hitting our atmosphere. And so we're actually hopefully going to have a quantum physicist on the show to to help us get a better understanding of what it possibly could be. Rachel is going to hook us up with someone. But the first thing that I thought once I kind of got over that it wasn't a car driving around the area, like putting its, you know, headlights on it was that, oh, this is kind of like a northern light or... It looked like an energetic belch is the word that came to my mind. This release of energy just kind of willy nilly. But then the thing that threw me is that it kind of went, like Rachel said, in the direction of the striations of the earth. And it felt very directed, which is not necessarily something you'd expect of fog, for example. 
Right. And, yeah. And, there, and there wasn't really a lot of wind or anything. It was right? really like, quiet. There was no sound associated with, with that thing happening. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's a mystery. It's, it's a real mystery. It is a mystery. And I think if someone told me this, I would think they were full of shit. Or on drugs. <laughs> or on drugs. Yeah. Like that we were on some kind of ayahuasca mission or whatever, but yeah, I feel for me, it proved like I was such a naysayer and like the hubris of thinking that you know that something isn't real. So I think it made me really think about what do you even know? Like right. our universe is so enormous. How do I even pretend to know anything? I feel that that's, that's absolutely true. Like there, how is it that there's so much left to be discovered? You think about underneath the ocean, you know, what percentage oh, yeah. of things that people actually don't know greatly outweighs what we actually do know. I think there's plenty of unexplainable things left that people just don't, we don't have the answers for. And I don't know. I love that. I love that idea of there being, you know, unsolved mysteries or things that are like magical or mysterious or just kind of really gives us, you know, these moments of complete wonder. Because <laughs> that's how I felt. I was just like, wow, that is, I don't know what I saw, but I feel extra special in my ability to have witnessed that. So I'm glad that we were with each other. And so it wasn't like, you yes. know, the next day you're like, did I see that? Did I imagine that? Because I I would feel that if I saw something that on my own, I would definitely second guess um, mm -hmm. whether or not I actually saw that. <laughs> Well, and even if you knew that you saw it, you know, kind of like you knowing about your bunny, the loneliness of having no one to reflect that back to you would just kind of make it not fun. Right. You know, it's almost not worth it right. in a way to experience that on your own because no one else can really ever believe it. And we did research as we would go to different places, we would ask people like, oh, so have you seen anything? And you, know, you talked to this one woman who saw some green. Yeah. Or was that me? No, that was know. in the, the New Age Center in Sedona. We went and asked, we tried to, we wanted to know if anyone had seen anything like this before. And, and so she was like, oh, maybe you saw the green ball of fire. And I was like, well, it was definitely not a ball. And so I think that orbs and things like that are, are regularly seen around Sedona, but it was definitely not that. However, she had an interesting story. Her, yeah, her green ball, she was driving along one of the highways and all of a sudden in the middle of the highway, this green ball of fire came up out of the ground and then stopped her in her tracks and she got out of the car and like approached it, which I think I would not do, but you know, to each their own. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I would have done that either, but yeah, she was saying it was going in and out of the ground. And I was like, well, that's really interesting. But yeah, I haven't, I haven't been able to see anything remotely similar, at least in that location. I think that we should branch out our, our search and see if mm -hmm. anyone's seen anything like this anywhere else. I mean, the location yeah. of where we were are along ley lines and so kind of thinking about other places in the world, I also think we should kind of think about or research what was maybe going on with the earth or oh, astronomically you know, just, or not astrologically, but in the, the sky or it could be that or even mm. tectonically. Was there any earthquakes or anything nearby? I don't know. It's kind of interesting to think about all the things that you could really kind of try and, and research and think about and how they might be connected. So. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Well, 
I wanted to switch gears and make sure we got to talk about your art and what you're working on right now before we go. Maybe you could talk a little bit about your most recent series of paintings. Yeah, I've for the last few years, I've been working on these large-ish scale oil and acrylic paintings of, of crystals that they're photographs that I've taken. And essentially, I guess the initial idea of when I kind of started thinking about this was thinking about color and kind of the ability for colors to affect our mood. So there was that element. And then also thinking about, again, kind of energy and how these crystals are purported to have these energetic qualities that are meant to Mm -hmm. heal. And so when I was thinking about making these paintings, it was actually more initially, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this, not just for myself, but a public service announcement. This is, you know, we were at the end of the Trump era and I just felt I had been painting black holes in my studio for years. And I was like, I need to let light and color in. And I'm like, I'm just going to make these giant crystal paintings that are going to be very specific to what they can do in kind of healing energy. And so I started thinking about painting as power centers. Again, I'm really interested in power objects and thinking about kind of the energy I give to a piece and how all of this kind of works together. So yeah, I've just been kind of on this journey of working with these energy, I call them my power tools, Mm. because they're, I'm kind of giving my own power to it, but they're also giving me the power that they're pushing back towards me. And, and I just like, they're, they continue to evolve. They're, they're now getting a little more mystical and kind of perhaps a little strange as I've now started incorporating sigils Mm. into, into them. But yeah, I'm just enjoying working on these pieces and really using them as an opportunity to, again, let my intuition and my use of meditation help drive their evolution. Yeah, I love that. I, I'm so excited to see how this investigation of energy and the way that it affects us and also holds information. I think that the study of mediumship and energy work is reading energy, essentially. And I think all of the work that you've made is investigating like the way the physical world holds energy and can use it to serve others. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything you have coming up or anything that you want to share that you're excited about? I'm actually coming up in an issue, upcoming issue for Studio Visit magazine. And I'm excited about that. And then I'm currently in a online virtual version of the Kaleidoscope show with Arc Gallery. So that can be viewed online. But that's that's it right now. More to be coming up shortly. But yeah, we'll have links to all your information on the show notes and Lots of photos. I feel like this will be a content-heavy Instagram blitz with all of the things that we've talked about because I really want to show like your sculptures, give some of your older work some new airtime because it's really cool. And I think fans of Woo will really enjoy it. Yeah, woo-woo. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Rachel. This was so fun. Thanks, Sarah. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for side-wooing with us. We release episodes every other week on Thursday. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast for good karma points. Until we meet again in the woo.